Welcome to Textual Anthologies, the podcast series that explores the personal and professional side of creative individuals. My name is Massimo Casagrande, and in this first series, I will be focusing on the slash culture. Today's creative boundaries are blurred more than ever, and with this series, we will explore how the creative industry and creative people are influenced and inspired by other disciplines. Over the next few episodes, I will be having informal conversations with friends, colleagues, and fellow slashers to discover more about their stories, their journey, what makes them tick, and above all, their creative outlets. Enjoy the episode. Today we are in the Netherlands talking with someone I met back in London in 2014, and already then I was intrigued by how he was embracing design from such an innovative perspective. During Dutch Design Week virtual held in October this year, he spoke about a project that he has spent the last 10 months working on called The New Standard 2030, The Right Choice, A Series of Positive Concepts. During these 10 months, he worked and developed four concepts, re-engineering home and lifestyle products to the new standard, matching his vision for the year 2030. This was achieved through revaluing materials, reframing production methods, reconnecting consumers to products, and by looking deeper into technology and the crafts used during the making process and regenerating them to new standards. Low impact, purpose and conscience is now the new standard in manufacturing, where recycling is central to the design process and disposing is simply out of fashion. I'm happy to welcome today's guest, the re-engineer Jeffrey Heiligers. Hey Jeffrey, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Good, thank you. I see you're in your pop-up store, can you tell us more about it and what the concept is? Yeah, no, so we, we um, got this amazing place in the city center of Amsterdam. Like, it's an A location. It's beautiful. Oh, nice. And because a lot of companies are going bust at the moment because of Corona. Oh, yeah. So they don't want to have these buildings just sit there empty. So we can rent it for a really low price. Oh, well. So is this, is this something that the city is doing as an initiative to sort of generate cash? Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily about the cash, but to make sure that people don't start squatting these places. Uh, it's called anti anti squat. Okay. And we have this really big space with all our stuff in it now that we can show to the public. Oh wow. And then here is our atelier in store. So the idea is that we make the making process visible for the people in the main shopping streets so they can see that the stuff that they're buying at Primark is ridiculously <laughs> low priced. Yeah. <laughs> And that it takes a lot of work to uh, yeah, make things, you know, and uh, make them part of it because now they can walk in and they can see us do it, which exactly, I think is, exactly. it's nice. So That's awesome. Yeah. That's really great. I've started this podcast series where I interview different people from like creative sites. I love talking to people and what I'm doing is I'm interviewing people that I know to understand what are they doing creatively, how are they sort of making a difference or how they're using their creativity and yeah. And I watched the video that you did for Dutch Design Week yeah. that day. I mean, I found that absolutely interesting. I've actually, I shared that. I sent that to all my students and I yeah, told them said. to watch it because I think it's uh, it's so fundamental for them to understand. Yeah. Uh, and what can I ask? What was what was the thing that you really liked about it? Okay. It's a series of things that, that I connected with. First of all, sustainability and also how fashion has to change because I'm teaching the new generation. So... I'm in a key position of helping them make aware of maybe what changes have to be done. Yeah. 
And then hearing you speak and hearing of how much you want the consumer to be part of the product, because you were saying during your talk last week, the fact that a consumer will maybe use the product more if they physically make it. Like you were talking about the flat pack, they have to build something, they have to make something that they'll think twice before they throw it away because they've become part of it. So this connection of product and consumer is something I really, really enjoyed. And also I love the fact of the zinc cabinet. It's a material that actually never gets thrown away because you can reuse it. It has this amazing lifespan. So, you know, there was all this and I just loved, uh, I loved that, you know, I'm trying to push the next generation to, to think creatively. I always ask them when you're designing a collection, you need to think of what is the second life of your product? Yeah. How is it going to be reused again? And I like that. And I even loved what you did with the rag rug, you know, using like leftover stuff, because it's true. All this stuff goes to landfill. What can we do with it? And I, and I thought it was a nice solution to this problem. Yeah. So yeah, there, there was yeah. a series of things that, that I really enjoyed. Because Dutch Design Week was supposed to happen uh, as an offline event, but then two weeks before the actual event, they canceled it. So oh. it went virtual. So I had to find a way to still get the point of across of the collection that I was making with this future vision. So like the collection, the way I wanted to present it was the collection just stood there being nice and beautiful. People looking at it like, oh, it's just a wardrobe and a rug. Yeah. And then when you read the text, the text was an, an, is a newspaper item out of the year 2030. So it's like set in the future. Okay. And like, what is it like conscious consuming? It's like the most normal thing. Absolutely. That was kind of the, the point I wanted to bring across and then have Dutch Design Week as a platform for discussion to make the consumer part of the making process, but also to challenge the industry into regenerating their production methods because we keep everything hidden and people don't know how stuff is made. Like all of our grandparents know how to fix stuff. Uh, Even my parents still know that, but like most of my friends, you know, when something breaks, they're freaking out because they don't know what to do. Exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm a bit that category, you know, some things I can sort of <laughs> self do because uh, like you say, your parents, my dad would always dismantle something and put it together. And my brother and I always had to help him. So some things I kind of self-sufficient, but others, I have to say, thank God for YouTube, where you can sort of like <laughs> learn how yeah. to put something together. Yeah. But I think that's also like kind of like an inspiration source, you know, because if you want, if you put your mind to it and you want to fix it and you don't know how you go to to YouTube and you do yeah. it. But I think like you, we even need to go a step further where it just becomes part of the routine, like that people know that I think that the store, the, the thing that we can do here now is, is also contributing to this thing of making this process visible because yeah. I think that's where it goes wrong. And also Absolutely. about wrongly, uh, what is it like transferring wrong information towards each other. So the idea also for the live streams was to put people at the table that never met each other that are out of completely different corners in these production processes or doing something completely irrelevant for each other in a way. And then when you put them at the table, they find out that they have super much in common. Exactly. And we all are doing the same thing and we're trying to achieve the same goals, but we don't don't work together. Why are we not doing this? Exactly. There's this community out there that through these platforms and through these lives that you're doing, I think it's quite nice to connect them because we're all thinking the same thing. We all want to do the same thing, but it's just... We need sort of somehow to, to connect and to do it. Yeah. But, you know, but I, I also loved how you spoke about the passport of the product, which obviously leads to, like you saying, the transparency, the traceability of stuff. I think that's so important. And I'm noticing as well, also with 
the younger generations, before they purchase something, they're actually so conscious. They want to know where it comes from. Yeah. That's one thing I really commend them for. I think it's really great that they want to know what they're buying into and what, what impact it will have on them. So, yeah. But I remember when we met. Yeah, it was 2014 when I was in London. Six years ago. I know, it's so <laughs> long ago, isn't it? So bizarre. But I remember, you know, and I was already then fascinated how you had created the posture shirt. And I remember yeah. you were telling me what you had done at the university. And, and it's so nice to see what you've done afterwards and kind of follow you. I mean, thank God for social media and all of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah it, has been a, it has been a bit of a ride and a journey. Like I've been out of the design industry for three years as well. Okay. Like I've been doing stuff. And like at, at the end of last year, there is this program in the Netherlands called Driving Dutch Design. The, the program was initiated by a bank, ABN AMRO, it's called. The BNO, which is like the union for all the designers in the Netherlands. Okay. DDF, the Dutch Design Foundation. Yeah, each year they select 20 young uh, companies to take part in this masterclass program. And it's pretty hardcore. So I applied and I got in, which was wow. super nice. So this year I've done that. How long is the program? It just finished. January till uh, the Dutch Design Week and then it's done. Oh, wow. And then in, all, in that time you get all these masterclasses and they really they help you to understand how you can make money with a creative business and also okay. what is your core value. You know, what oh. are you really good at that can help you. So they help you put together a business plan to actually set up your company and make it profitable. Yeah. Yeah, not even necessarily a business plan is something that you work on, but they also really work on your story as a as an individual. Okay. So it's like I was quite surprised. I w I thought it would just be like on the business side of the pro of of my company, but it was very personal and uh, <laughs> challenging at times. And you really get to I don't know. I really got to I got to know myself in a way this year, which is beautiful because it's yeah. really hard to also i think that's most difficult to kind of like yeah 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 when you have yeah. to describe yourself i think that's the worst thing yeah i always and get intimidated us, yeah well yeah like say tell me in one sentence what you do like the first thing that always popped up in my head was like i make stuff you know and it sounds <laughs> stupid i don't know like so for the last couple of years i've been making stuff but i wasn't very happy with the results the stuff that i was doing and this program really made me focus again and also went back to posture and momentum the two products really? that we, like when i just graduated when i met you yeah i was so good in what i did why am i not doing this anymore and then like you know i started to, to look for collaborations starting new projects new processes mm -hmm. and really start to work on that story again go back to my roots in a way exactly and now i'm like i'm really i don't know i feel more confident i i see the value of the work I do, which I found hard to see first. Now at the end of the course, and I've been speaking to people, and people are generally interested. Like, for example, the company with the zinc cabinets that helped me out. Like, the CEO is all over it now. And he's like, we should do a collection. We should do a collection wow. because this is really nice. And this is a new way of working for us as well. You, you gave us new insights in our own yeah. material. And for me, that was like a moment of like, ah, Okay, so this is really good at. <laughs> During this course, do they help you connect with people? Like, will they say, Jeffrey, you know what? You should meet no. this person. No, okay. No, not really. Well, they help you out if you want to, but it's more like they make you think in this way and they okay. also try to encourage you to go 
to these people if you want to do something with them. But it's not that they are going to make the contact for you. Okay, okay. But cool. I think it was really helpful because, you know, sometimes you need a little push to actually call the company and say, like, do you want to make a wardrobe with me? Because normally I would think, like, why would they want to do this with me? Yeah, true. Yeah. Convincing someone to jump on board is quite difficult. And I guess that's where the storytelling comes in. Yeah, yeah. But speaking of storytelling, so when, when the consumers come into your pop-up. What is their reaction when they come in and what is their reaction after you've told them sort of the concept? Is there like this moment of enlightenment when you can see that they're like, oh my God, understand the concept and appreciate it? Uh, we didn't have that many people coming in yet, to be honest, because it's quite quiet on the street at the moment with Corona. Just, by the way, are you guys back in lockdown? What's no, happened? we are like in a partly shut down. Okay. That means that like all the restaurants and stuff are closed. Shops are allowed to be open, but you can only have a certain amount of people inside. And when you are in each other's one and a half meters, you need to wear a face mask. Okay. Yeah, so it is a little bit quiet, but I do feel like the people that come in and that we talk to like it. But it's too early to say if they feel enlightened. And okay. yeah, yesterday, Rose, she spoke to a lady that came in to see my rock. She's like, oh, it's really beautiful. Like, I really want this. And she asked for the price. And then she was like, yeah, if I can't afford this, but it's really nice. I think it's also a good thing to let them know that this costs money, you know. It but also, I was reading that rug takes, what, three months to make? Yeah. And it's all so hand crocheted, no? I did it all by hand. So I get textiles from people and then I cut them into strips and then I color coordinate them. And then I sew them together, all these strips with the machine. Uh -huh. And then I grab my crochet needle and I just start crocheting. And so like so one row is about an hour. And then, yeah, in total, it took me eight months to make it. But if you would, like, if I would, because I didn't work on it full time, it's not possible. You'll, it's just too much work. Oh, yeah, you get yeah. really tired. And, but I calculated and it, it will, if I have to make one again and I would work on it full time, it would take me three months to make a oh. new one. Yeah. So it's crocheting a skill you learned during, <laughs> during COVID? <laughs> no, I already knew how to do it. Okay. And I remember, like, I really... I used to do it at my grandma's and I liked it because it's something that is also, it works a bit like a meditation. You just sit there, you do something, you feel active, but it doesn't tire you out. It, you can do it while watching TV, basically. Yeah. But this, it was a bit more complicated because I was working with colors and stuff. But yeah, I, I, yeah it was super nice. It's, uh, I like it when I look at it now. But I know, it's really I beautiful. I was looking at the photos. It's absolutely stunning. For this rug, you kind of put an advertisement out and sort of just ask people to donate clothes that they were throwing yeah. away. So last year, I did a project because I was interested in how a neighborhood would react if you would start crowd mining materials. So what I said was like, I put a Facebook post up on the area that I live and I said, can if you have any leftover textiles or anything, whatever, paper, plastic, like certain bottles and stuff, you can bring it around and then I'll make something new out of it. And the idea was then to, because each year there is a festival called Clever Park Festival where I live. Okay. And they, I bought a stand. And so everything I got from the neighborhood, I transformed into something new and I sold it back to the neighborhood on this market. Oh, wow. The idea was to use the neighborhood as my material mine, you know? Okay. I called the project Resourceful Neighborhoods. So I got some really high quality materials that I could still make some really nice. So I made furniture, I made like de decorated pieces for in the house with oh, wow. papier mache and uh, plastic bottles. And, and then now I was like, I wanted to make this rug that was like kind of a follow up on the project. And I just said like, I need blue textile. Can you bring it around or can I pick it up? And it just, you will be amazed if you do some, maybe it's interesting for you at the school to do something yeah. like that. 
Absolutely. because you will be amazed how much material you get f- from people for free. We have so much shit. <laughs> a lot, a lot. Yeah. And I also, because it was something that in the live streams was asked a couple of times, like, where, where does, like, I did a project with Jessica and Hochtoch together with the shoe and like a, a question was asked, but how does the school help you out when you have this passion for making stuff in a good way? And it's like, they don't. Yeah. And it's true. really bad. Like the educational system and especially the design schools are terrible. They don't force you to do stuff like this. Like why is there not like a rule that in, this, in the first year, for example, you are only allowed to use leftover materials? First of all, it makes you twice as creative because you really have to think about the stuff. And it also opens your, your mindset. You know, you can see opportunities and things that you would normally never look at. Absolutely. So what we started doing here, because we opened up three years ago here, our main focus has been sustainability. So I've really been trying to push to make our courses as sustainable as possible. Me doing research, contacting people, whatever. So we've actually teamed up with Soho House here in Miami. And they give us all their leftover bed linen so instead of yeah, them throwing them away, we use that because anyway, when design students have to make garments, they have to make prototypes and they always have to use white cotton. So we thought, okay, let's use that, you know, which was really good. And then that led to a collaboration with East Hotel where they wanted us to create outfits using only materials from their hotel. So like using, again, leftover papers that they had, rugs, bathrobes, and, and it was a nice challenge. And I think that that's a nice way. And we also work with Goodwill, which is like a big thrift store around the US where they donate stuff to us and we use, you know, like to do upcycling and that. But it's always so challenging to try and find a way. And also I think to change the mindset of people, because sometimes people think that upcycling is something very silly or old school or like take your grandmother's blanket and you turn it into a rucksack or, you know, (laughs) and it's helping them to understand it's not like that. Yeah. No, it's uh, definitely... uh something that there where a lot of innovation is still possible Absolutely. but yeah it has this really uh bad what is it called it, has, it doesn't have a good vibe to it yet yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no exactly they, they yeah. find it like really sort of almost like this hippie aspect to it you know but like bad hippie yeah you know? yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 silly it is silly. It is silly. You know, I think there are countries out there. I think Netherlands being one of them. Belgium's quite good, but also like the Scandinavian countries. I find them very far ahead in, in concepts like this. And what I like is that the population actually embraces this. They, it's something that they believe in 100%. I think that's really great. And then, I mean, Holland gave us one of the best minds. I think Lee Eldercourt is, is fantastic when she comes you know, talking about textiles and it's, it's absolutely amazing. And I was meant to see her in New York in April and because of the pandemic, it got canceled. So that <laughs> pissed <laughs> me off a bit, I have to say. But, but we managed to do stuff online, which, which, which is great. But Jeffrey, but what sparked off the new standard 2030? I know reading on your website, you, it's taken you, it's like a 10 month research process that you did. But what led you to wanting to come up with these four concepts to be part of the new standard? Well, it's because I was also, I was in the process of like finding my core value, like what am I really good at? And I don't know, in the whole process, it was something that really kept coming back was like making other people excited about their own materials, for example, or uh, showing a different way of production. Um, And then something else that was really, um, that kept coming back. It's like, I really love like craftsmanship Mm. and that things are made by hand. And I love old crafts, you know, like clock making, like all of these things that are dying. And like, 
how can we keep them, like give them a new contact base? So I've been thinking about it, thinking about it, and then I came up with a new title for myself. So now I'm not a designer anymore, but I call myself a re-engineer because I I never really try to invent or reinvent the wheel. I just try to like work with stuff that is around me, and also like if I make something new that it has of a high quality and that at the end of life is part of the design. So I also like. A lot of times I work the wrong way around. I start at the end and then work my way to the start. But I was trying to find a way how to um, to make that into a story, to make it clear that it's not only a wardrobe that I can make or a piece of textile that I can make or fashion that I can make. Because all of this, all the, the, the quality that I have can be used in everything. So then the idea came out like, what if I just start like making a really small, simple, understandable context, which is like using everyday products, like a wardrobe and clothes, a rock that you have on the floor, like all of these things that are very uh, recognizable and start regenerating them or re-engineering them to a new standard, the standard that I want stuff to be like. Exactly. And that's how it kind of started. And then I didn't want to talk about like oh the future needs to be better the future needs to be this because i think it's quite fake when you speak about the future for everyone that's different so then i again did it the wrong way around where i kind of wrote this newspaper item for the year 2030 where this is the most normal thing ever producing like this having shared responsibilities and a passport with each product and knowing how to recycle things and also know knowing how to put things together by making the consumer involved in a way and that just set me off. I just started working on these things and found partners to collaborate, like uh, Reinzink and Wenzel that helped me with the wardrobe. The Rackrock was a self-initiated product, but in a way also the neighborhood is involved in that because they gave me the materials. But also speaking of neighborhood and I guess community, in your live the other day, you were saying that, for example, the, the flat pack, if you don't know how to sew, you can go to your local tailor or something like that. So it's getting people working together. And I think nowadays community is important component of, of society yeah. and localism, as you mentioned, and which is yeah. something that you're doing. I think it's really fantastic. Yeah. How, how easy is it or was it to get these partners involved? You had these four concepts and you reached out to sort of four people that you worked with. The Flatback Tour was a partnership with an illustrator. So that was really hard to be honest because okay. we she was in the same program as me and we we did a project in the start of the year where she illustrated uh, all these animal prints for face masks okay. and we started selling that as a, like a support support your local thing and then i had this idea for flatback couture but i didn't want to make it like dull i wanted to be quite exciting so she makes these really beautiful prints and I just said, like, I explained her what I wanted to do. And she loved the idea of making it yourself. And she's like, yeah, use my prints. And so it's also nice because it's a collaboration where it's like, you know, um, she's not necessarily involved in the design process of the, 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 te- the technology around the product. But it is a shared product in a way because if I sell it, she'll get part of it because we are working together. Of course. For just using her prints. It's like a licensing thing, okay. basically. And then with the shoe was also interesting because I asked Jessica Den Hartog, she's the sustainable plastic ex- expert. I said to her, like, I want to make a shoe and I want it to be out of plastic, recycled plastics, and it needs to be like easy to assemble and easy to disassemble so it's recyclable. And I want also parts to be interchangeable so we only need one set of shoes instead of 20 sets of shoes at home. And uh, I need you because I don't know anything about plastics. 
<laughs> and uh, we started collaborating and we found a company in the south of the Netherlands called Chill, Camelot Innovation and Learning Lab. And they're this amazing platform for innovation. So they just help young entrepreneurs that have inno innovative ideas to uh, make the first proof of concept, for example. So they facilitated us in 3D printing the first proof of concept, which is super nice. And I think also because when you're really excited about it yourself and you 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 know what you want to do and your story is complete and you step into the industry and you make them part of it, make them involved also in the process because you, you know, I think that's where it goes wrong a lot of times. We just try to do things by ourselves and I ask them the question to help me. And it was the same with the wardrobe. Like I, I have this idea to build a wardrobe that doesn't rely on any fixtures. It's self-supporting. It doesn't, it's not allowed to have any screws. It's not allowed to be welded together. It doesn't allow blah, blah, blah. Like I had all these restrictions. It needs to be easy to put together and easy to take apart. So if you move, you can take it with you. And at first they were like, but that's really hard, but it's really exciting at the same time. Let's just do this. You know, it's also making them excited about it in a way because they have all the technology that I want to learn yeah. and apply to the thing. Same with Chill Labs. You know, they have the 3D printers. I don't have that. And you make them part of the process because you have them ask them questions. Because And I think you kind of get them to view their products or their materials in a completely different way, out of context. Exactly. And they're like, oh my God, we can actually use this like this. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what also like helps to get them involved. Like First of all, making them part of the process. And second of all, showing them an alternative route for the product that they already been using for decades, like the zinc that they've been putting on roofs. And now they find out they can build furniture with. Like it's, a, oh, wow, you know, it's nice. Also, I like the BIY sneaker, that each component is made up of one type of plastic. So it even makes it easier to, to recycle, which yeah. is really, really good. Yeah, and we're just at the start of that project. So on next Wednesday, we have this pitch event in the south of the Netherlands where there will be a, a lot of businesses so we can actually pitch the, like, the idea and also the business plan behind it. Because it's a super interesting project because it's not only it being out of different components, easy to recycle. Okay. Because these parts are interchangeable and you can play around with the, the quality of a certain plastic because one's, one is bouncy, the other one isn't. So for example, you buy one, one pair of shoes from the, the, like the BIY sneaker and you wear them during the day with a standard sole on the bottom, but you can take that one off and you put something else under that is a bit more bouncy or has like like spring system in it or whatever, and you can go for a run without having to put an ex a new pair of shoes on. Oh, so wow. the idea is that you can you only need one pair and you can interchange the parts, so you can basically wear different shoes every day without having to buy all these shoes. And then if one part breaks, the idea is that we take it back, we shred the material, and then we make it into a new filament for the 3D print to make a new part. So it will oh, wow. stay in the loop. So it's 3D printed, the shoe? Yeah, it's completely printed. Oh, wow. So ideally, it would be that you go to the website and you compose your own shoe. Yeah, like... Selecting yeah. the add-ons. I'm talking yeah. about 2030. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, that's the idea. Yeah. Okay. And it's also the idea that you wouldn't throw out your shoe just because the sole broke or whatever. You can just buy a new, like a new sole. And for now, with the, with the first proof of concept, we also played around with the idea that your, your own socks are the base of the shoe. So the socks you're wearing are defining the look of your shoe. 
So maybe today you're wearing purple socks and purple is the color of your shoe. That's so nice. So it's, it's, it, is, it was really, it was a lot, like a really playful project with a really positive vibe, I think, because it's interesting, it's fun. It's not only for the mainstream market in 2030, but it, it's also really interesting for the sports industry because all these interchangeable parts. Absolutely. So, Very cradle to cradle as well. And I know you mentioned cradle to cradle on, on your website, so that, that's really cool. Yeah. So these ideas, because you're at home and you're thinking, oh, I need this, I need that. Like, is it because uh, you're trying to find a solution that you may be to an experience that you've going through? I think it's always like a fascination at that moment or something, you know, like you see something and like, oh, there is this problem that we can't recycle furniture because of all the different materials that we're using. And it has screws and it has glues and welded together. And I don't know, sometimes that can just keep me away to figure out how I can solve that issue, for example. And then I just, I don't know, the process just starts. Yeah, I don't know. It just goes, it's really hard to give an answer to this. It is. But, you, but you've got one skill that other, you know, you've got an engineering background as well. So that yeah. also helps with the, how you're going to create something and make something. But I also always see the, the problem as an opportunity, I think, like, Oh, it's a problem that we create furniture with all these additional fixtures and blah, blah, blah. Well, the opportunity is to make it without. How am I going to do this? It is also interesting sometimes how the collaboration works out because at the start of the year, I had a tour in the factory, in the zinc factory, for something completely different. And I was there and I went home. I was fascinated by the way the machines work and how they could like, like force the materials into all these shapes and it was super cool, like the way, like, I don't know, I always had a fascination for stuff that moves and how it bends and like, just like, I, I don't know, it was really nice. And I, I walked out with not like no emotions whatsoever. I just liked it. But then two months later, I had the idea of the wardrobe and I was like, oh my God, I need to call them. Everything just like a puzzle just fell together. And I was like, this is the material I want to use. They have all the technologies that I need to be able to build this. They have all the knowledge inside of the house to to make this and then i just i don't know it just start i mean i don't want to but like ikea is flat pack we've learned how to build furniture through ikea so yeah why not translate that into garment i love that idea yeah so what's next yeah what's next good question well we have this pop-up store which was very last minute we only heard it like last week and then uh, rose made me and jeroen very excited about it and we joined her and now we're here we're going to do some experimental things in here. Like, for example, Jeroen and I are going to build furniture together next week and just using whatever we have here. Is that going to be like streamed live? Do yeah, you... we're going to do some live streams and yeah, people can just walk in. And the idea is also that the stuff that we make in the store, you can sell. So also the experimental pieces. Okay. And there's also to kind of challenge each other's creativity in a way, like doing stuff that is fun so that we just keep working on what we're working on. Yeah, it's, it's, it should be a place where creativity meets the shopping street i don't know it's, <laughs> it's weird <laughs> yeah and for the rest i've had some i've met some interesting people through the virtual design week and also organizing those live streams so uh, the wardrobe the company of the wardrobe now thinking about making a whole collection so that's interesting if you found that after the live stream that companies have contacted you and approached you to do projects or to talk about stuff not yet, but I think it's because the virtual design week was the first time it was virtual. It was quite experimental. I think it was hard to find things. Okay. So that's also going to be part of my uh, work in a couple of weeks to catch up with the people I've met, 
and uh, yeah, trying to find new opportunities. And uh, what do you think the future of luxury? What what should we do? Well, I think the future of luxury, in a way, is going to be handmade. Like it's going to be a lot more like craftsmanship, and also um, yeah, I think like in a way, transparency is also a luxury because now we really don't have an idea. Like it's so hidden, everything. Like even the food, you don't even know where your your tomatoes come from. You know, it's ridiculous. And I think that's going to be a massive luxury. And I think it's also something that people are really craving. Maybe it's something also due to Corona that you notice that, you know, the government being quite in the background trying to organize everything. And I mean, like, don't get me wrong, because it's a lot of work and I don't, don't want to be in their shoes at the moment. But you feel like people want clarity. They want to know what the hell is going on, what they have to do. And I hope that that shift is going to continue also in the stuff that we're using and that's around us. And I agree with you, but I was just thinking because there's one brand I'm really enjoying at the moment and it's Loewe. Look at the IGTVs because the designer is an English guy, Jonathan Anderson. He's created like all these videos where he's got the artisans talking about the product that they're making. So it's, it's you know, it's connecting the consumer to, to that. And it's not just him, but you actually see the person who's cutting the bag, talking about the bag or doing the weaving. And now they've just launched this, launched this capsule collection where he's using old military parkers, parachutes and tents and like making stuff out of them. Yeah. Like thinking of the rug that you did, I can't help but think of how Burberry used to burn leftover stuff, whereas maybe they could have taken that stock and maybe made some Burberry rugs out of them or something, you know. Yeah, I'm talking to someone now that is really interested in the rug. We're going to see how we can uh, take it in production. Yeah, because, like you know, I can't just do this by myself. It's too much work. I mean, it's complex to make in a way, but once you know how it's made, it is not that hard to do this. And also then thinking about people that are distant to the to the markets to find jobs. You know, people that, are, that have a handicap or, or autism or whatever, and that can't function in regular companies because they said that it's not possible. This is a really interesting thing also to see how social, we call them social workshops, how they could, for example, make this rock. Okay. It's great. It puts people to work. Absolutely. It's easy to make. It's helping. Yeah, exactly. I think it's also something super luxury. Absolutely. Because we're really missing missing that at the moment. A lot. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I don't know. I think I've had a lot of really interesting and really positive feedback on the collection, which is good. And it also gave me a lot of new ideas and things I need to do and really start to like work on. And that's just my next step is trying to, you know, find new challenges, find new partnerships with people to, yeah, I keep saying regenerating their products to the new standard because that's what we all have to start doing. Because now it's not going right. <laughs> no, I think, yeah, it's like point of no return. You know, we need to like, really, I think now's the, the tipping point. Take action now. All right, cool. Jeffrey, thank you so much. So nice to catch up with you. Yeah. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I look forward to inviting you next week to our next episode. So stay tuned, stay safe and speak soon. Bye.